Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Eddie John is a computer enthusiast, software architect, innovator, problem solver, serial entrepreneur, and founder of two tech-based companies, Safari Wallet and Place Listed. Eddie has extensive experience as an engineer and professional web designer, as well as experience in professional photography, social media management, internet marketing, and qualitative research. Eddie is an avid mountain climber who has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro seven times and planned to climb it a total of 20 times. He believes that the challenges of these climbs help make him a better and more resilient entrepreneur. Eddie, welcome to the show. Welcome back, WTF listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Hi, everybody. Hi. So um, here we are. During the time of COVID-19, so I'm sure that's a topic of conversation for many and also a topic of conversation for us because there is a component of this whole COVID-19 situation that is about funding. Funding for us here in the U.S. um, because of the economic impact of the virus and the government has passed, um, you know, the CARES Act and different stimulus packages, and also around the world, there's lots of funding being mobilized to deal with the economic impact of, not just the economic impact, but also health impact as well of this virus. And so there's lots of talk about funding. And so we want to get into a little bit of that conversation in terms of where's the funding. There's a lot of funds being generated. And for our listeners, if you want to get a sense of um, where who's funding COVID-19 responses and what are the priorities, I would recommend checking out DevX. Um, DevX.com, they have an interactive map that is up to date that gives you a lot of information about where there are initiatives and funds being developed, who's funding what, how much um, in funding is being generated. And our hope is that the funding that's being generated is being equitably distributed and that it is really being distributed to where it's needed most. Here in the U.S., we saw with the stimulus package for the PPP, where as of yesterday, we heard that funds have run out. But there have been lots of small businesses who have applied for funding under the PPP since the day it was announced, and they have not been funded. They are still suffering, you know, whatever the economic impacts that they've been, um, that have reached them as a result of this. And now they've been told the money's ran out. So if that's the situation here, we're just concerned, what does the situation look like on the continent? And so just wanting to have a little conversation around that before we get into today's episode. So Lydia, what are your thoughts? So I'm honestly at the point where, I think there's just so much information. There's the, you know, there's country responses that seem to be, you know, targeting the um, the entrepreneurs and small businesses within country. Then there are these regional uh, responses, and then international and global responses. There are responses that are sector specific. There are sp- responses that are gender specific. So I think that the resources out there are plentiful. But as you said, the proof is in the pudding, and the devil is in the details. So where exactly can people access money, and what does it look like? Is it an emergency cash flow? Is it for long-term sustainability? Is it for growth? And so, uh, again, I think that there have been some good sort of dissections of this, 
I think the World Bank's COVID uh, response has been um, particularly helpful and very simple to understand. I know the African Development Bank has also provided some resources and a long-term projection about where they see um, COVID responses, um, you know, focused. Um, and I would also say that there's very much a philanthropic government private sector response that I would like to see aligned in um, particularly around, you know, different sectors that really require infrastructure support and support for the long term. Because I think economists are saying that really small businesses need to be thinking about this social distancing being a reality for up to 18 months. And so getting away from this idea that we're going to be back to a quote unquote normal in a couple of weeks might be foolhardy. So looking at the long term, but also looking at what type of funding and finance is required, whether that's just emergency stabilization or whether it's sort of long term growth, I think is going to be key areas for us to be focusing on in the near future. I absolutely agree. And I just want to throw out another resource where people can go and get information about where's the funding. Um, it's the site is called covidcap.com and it's put out by Duke University Fuqua School of Business. Um, and they have um, sort of a map by by location where you can really drill down. So it, it goes from local to global in terms of where funding resources are available. So if you're interested in checking out covidcap.com to get more information. And, you know, as it relates to entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurs have probably less support on the continent than they do here in the States. They're, most Most countries don't have, let's say, you know, a small business administration or something like that that is completely are supposed to be completely dedicated to helping small businesses grow and thrive. But even here in the U.S., like we are we're having such a difficult time dealing with that funds being made available and then funds now being unavailable. And most of the people who are trying to access that funding, not being able to get it. So we're just wondering like, what, so what are we supposed to expect for entrepreneurs and small businesses in Africa? And especially when we look at micro businesses, right? Those that are in the informal sector, where are the protections for them? Yeah, How are they supposed to cope? Because social distancing is going to impact them and hit them really hard. Yeah, I think the informal sectors, uh, mitigations to social distancing is something that, you know, businesses are going to have to think very nimbly about. Um, just as you were mentioning, the informal sector is all about um, social interaction. And so the idea that, um, you know, being a part has to be now part of the way you think about your business is something that I know is keeping people up at night. Um, I would say that we're definitely going to see the power of the diaspora and remittances come to um, full effect in the next coming weeks and months. I think that that, that injection of cash, which has always been such a driver of economic growth and sustainability within countries is what's really going to sort of carry people forward. And so seeing, you know, that sort of sustainability around funding and that pot of funding is where I'm, I'm, I'm interested in how that is maximized, but sensitive to the fact that that remittances, those remittances come from people whose are also experiencing the impact exactly. of the virus because this thing is global. Exactly. So like no one is insulated from it. Yeah. Right. So the interconnectedness of our experiences and our funding and our finance, I think are the double-edged sword. It's the opportunity, but it's also, again, a challenge 
to be able to raise remittances in the ways that we have done before. But I think they're going to be pivotal in terms of keeping businesses and small businesses on the continent um, viable and ready for business when our new normal takes effect. Whatever the new normal will be. I know. And we are all sort of waiting with bated breath to see what our new normal is because, and you're right, it's not, it's going to be a new normal. It's not going to be business as usual because there is no way we can continue to operate in the way that we did before COVID-19. So I think there'll be the world before COVID-19 and then the world after COVID-19. Right. And it's also about how, how are businesses pivoting? And I think we've talked about this before, pivoting to this new reality who's making it, who's not, you know, businesses like, you know, food, uh, delivery, infrastructure, tourism, they've all got different levels of tolerance around what's happening and how, you know, how those businesses can operate. And so, you know, it is not a monolith. Some businesses will you know, be able to come back and maybe even be stronger because they can provide a particular value to the market where others, you know, that's not going to be the scenario. So seeing how this all sort of shakes out, it's going to be, again, something for, you know, people interested in this space to, to, to mull over and ponder. I think you're right, Lydia. And we have to also think about, um, the potential impact of food systems of this um, this virus, and hoping that the development institution won't do what was done during um, Ebola in Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone in terms of sort of just bringing in food to help people instead of trying to utilize the food that's already available, that is locally produced, and buy that up for distribution instead of bringing in food aid that could disrupt the market systems for food. Yeah. Um, because yeah. then that can have, you know, a downward effect that can go on for a while for farmers and farmer communities who will be unable to sell what they are producing locally because food imports are coming in that are going to suppress that market. So we have to be very careful that that is not one of those negative impacts that's just going to exacerbate the problem. But just thinking about the food industry and for micro businesses that work in food and for, you know, people who make their livelihoods selling, you know, food on the side of the road, how do they practice social distancing and how do they continue with their livelihoods when they can't go out and do what it is that's required for them to be able to take care of their families and on today's episode, we will be talking with an entrepreneur from Tanzania who's on the ground and will be sharing his experience about what he sees as being the impact of the coronavirus in Tanzania for the local business community, particularly around the restaurant and, and food industry and around tourism, where he has another business. So um, we're looking forward to talking with Idi John on today's episode and hearing his perspective. Idi, welcome to WTF. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So Idi is an entrepreneur in Tanzania. Actually, he is a um, he has multiple businesses, and during the time of COVID nineteen and all of the economic impacts and fallout that we are seen from this virus, I wanted, we wanted to get a perspective of what's going on in the ground from an actual entrepreneur who can speak to what's happening with small and micro businesses and just in the entrepreneurship space. So Idi, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your businesses, and what you are trying to do to help mitigate the economic downturn for small and micro businesses with one of your platforms and how you also intend to potentially contribute to slowing the, um, the growth rate of the virus in Tanzania in terms of how you are looking to take advantage of certain opportunities that um, are in the market right now to be able to um, contribute to, to just mitigating certain impacts 
in Tanzania right now. All right, that's 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 a lot. <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, I was so well. We can we can break it down into into you know go question by question, and I will remind you um, as we go along. So just start at the beginning, which is just tell us a little bit about yourself and your various businesses. Great. Um. So uh, I'd say thank you for really having me here, and uh, I think it's it's an exciting opportunity to actually uh, speak what I'm doing uh, personally, me and my team. Um, so my name is Edi, Edi John, then, uh, I'm a software architect. That's what I'd say, because I, I have knowledge around technology, you know, in, in, from, from, uh, from network engineering, from software designing, and also, you know, with a huge interest in to, uh, travel technology and financial industry for a really long time. I'd say for over past seven years, that was been my area of, you know, doings since, um, since after school, but um, so uh, so far I'm um, I'm running. I'll say you know I'm into multiple businesses. Uh, one of uh, a business that I'm running is called Safari Safari Wallet, which basically it's a a travel tech company that offers the freedom of travel to local Africans. You know, whereby people can buy multiple experiences within the platform, and we help them financially to actually achieve their dream of travel by paying a bit by bit or paying by installments. And um, another uh, another business that I'm, I'm actually running, which I'll say something that I didn't care much about, but it was exciting to put online for the first on the first place because I saw an opportunity uh, of helping, I'll say, small medium businesses to be recognized online. So this uh, business is called uh, Place Listed. So it's basically place and listings. So now placelisted.com, um, our focus is to actually help locals to find uh, whatever needs they are looking for in less than 45 seconds. And this is how, I mean, this is by connecting uh, businesses on such engines such as Google and other such engines. And for, you know, those businesses to have like a page that could actually present their business online, which most... Um, I'd say it actually linked up people. And surprisingly, we, we, we launched first, like we put our first version of, um, which are called Alpha of Place Listed uh, two years ago. And it just got surprises because, you know, over, you know, since then we had, without doing any kind of marketing, uh, we reached to about, uh, today I think we have over 10,000 customers, like people who come and use the platform for, you know, different types of purpose, including the leading one is actually a, a restaurant industry where people are coming in and, you know, asking or looking for food. So basically place listed was for places to stay, eat and visit related to travel industry, but in, in, a, in a different way on the daily needs for locals and visitors who are coming to Africa. So you built it and they did come because you did no marketing for this platform. You just built it, left it, and people found it and subscribed. Of course. So we started by just listening. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Where are we now with the platform? So we've got no a number of businesses that have subscribed to the platform. How is it transitioning now? All right. So, you know, what really happened from the beginning is that after we put on the platform, we started listing places by our own because we thought, like, you know what, nobody knows about this. And we don't have enough, you know, to say market it so people can list. So we started listing and then just thinking maybe later we could add a future of claiming where I use, if somebody sees their business on place listed and they're interested, they can actually claim for it. Um, so... The transition began, uh, began really, uh, I'd say, in September. I'm sorry, there's a noise here. Yeah, let's let's pause a little. Did it go? Did it go away? Yeah. All right. Just re yeah. Just re say what you were saying when the the scratches sound started, and we can edit that part out. Yeah. So so basically, what I was saying is that. Um, uh, where what we started from the beginning is like we started listing places by our own, like you know, because we never had a lot of to spend in order to let's say promote or market, you know, for business owners or business places owners to actually list themselves online. So rather than that, we started like listing, and we were doing like random listing within, as I said earlier, within uh, the like the travel industry. So we're talking about restaurants. Then we know they cannot manage to own their own websites and all that. Like making sure that we are mapping these locals and 
help them to be discovered. Now, in September, as we were moving and we were monitoring how things are going, like what you know, how where people are navigating from, the the behavior of you know searching information online, and we got to understand wow that actually we have like uh, we can actually build. We we now know the key trendings which areas are the best areas for us to focus with. So everything changed in September. And I'll just give a set, for example, back in time for, uh, for our food delivery or food services, uh, there was a company called Jumia, uh, Jumia, which I think is well known. Jumia was actually operating yes. and they closed the thing, if not September last year, it's somewhere there, like late, uh, like late last year. Now, before that, if you were searching, let's say for... Um, Places like, for example, KFC, which is like a franchise, uh, well-known, I mean, restaurant. It will be Jumia's first and then place listed is following. Now, after Jumia left, to, up to today, if you search, let's say, KFC Oster Bay, place listed is number one. Now, just giving an example of KFC from September last year to uh, December last year, we gave KFC over 1,000 customers straight ahead without charging KFC for that particular service. But now, when you look to uh, a business uh, like KFC, we'd say this is a business with um, a restaurant with whatever, all type of strategies. They have like marketing team. They've got you know people who are working for them. But now, how can we really help not only KFC, but the last small, you know, food seller on the street, which I think I'd call them street vendors. Basically, these are people who are living on their, they're trying their best level to earn per day. And they have a limitation on what they're selling to. And that's where we are, yeah. Yeah, we can call these micro-enterprises. So micro-enterprises, opportunities yeah. for these micro-enterprises on the platform. Mm. The, what are the opportunities? So, for example, um, you know, we had we had for really to do like the hacking around it because of the culture and how people are navigating online. Also, that affects everything because uh, this is small uh, or micro businesses. Most of them they don't have a knowledge about you know how things works online. But basically, uh, I'd say eighty percent of the consumers are actually consuming from them. They're not consuming from KFC. KFC is saving about two per, less than 2% of the market in Dar es Salaam, for example. But now... You know this because over the two years that the platform has been running, you have been able to collect a lot of very important consumer data around trends yeah. And you're now utilizing that data to then make informed decisions moving forward. Of course. And, um, and, I, and that, that actually, as right now, uh, COVID-19 has appeared um, to be one of the biggest challenges. So I'll say, for example, I was walking to the street, going to office a week, I mean, three days ago, and I, I popped up to uh, a woman who sells, um, it's like type of donuts, we call them vitumbua. So it's like donut, but, you know, and somebody sells this for, let's say, uh, I think it, it could be cents. If you're calculating dollars, it could be cents. It's like, you know, for a, thousand, for a dollar, you could actually have 20 of them. Just for a dollar, you could have 20 of those pieces. And, and you know what? These are the food that every uh, local who goes to work, sometimes they pick them on the street for breakfast. And, and that's it. It's like... So, so these are high-demand things. Definitely. And, and that woman right now, I think he's, she's not selling... She's not selling 50 a day. She's not selling 100 a day. But... She have a potential of selling thousands just because of COVID, because everyone is locked inside. And I think everyone right now is trying to find this food that cannot be found on restaurants like KFC and other type of like middle-class restaurants. And these are also comfort foods that people start to miss when they're isolated from it. Of course. Here, we yeah. know that too. You're like, oh man, I wish I could have this. And you're like, oops, can't really get that. Right. Yeah. Because you won't order pizza, you won't order pizza every day. And just think about one thing. Breakfast, I think it's actually one of the most uh, taken meal of the day. And everybody wants breakfast. As simple, as light as it is. And uh, this mama and Tilia, the micro women, micro businesses who actually sit on the street and prepare something and just sell it for a day. Basically, in the morning, I'll tell you, I think every, as COVID is here right now, every family wants to get chapati. 
and not every family can actually cook chapati. But I'm just thinking right now about home kitchens. You know, what if these women could sit at their home and prepare food and we go in and take that and actually supply it to the, you know, to those who need it by just using the platform. I mean, I think it will save a lot of people. I know some people, I know some uh, businesses are coming up, they're doing that, but still it's not enough to save the whole market that is here. And that's where we are heading. Yeah, I think that's very important as a way to ensure that those people in those informal businesses are have some way of being able to continue to generate income it is. Right? Yeah. during this economic yeah. downturn. Because mm-hmm. you know, some people say that, you know, the impacts of this disease is kind of like a rich man's thing, right? Because you have to be more well off to be able to work from home and still get paid. In an industry where you have to be on the streets hustling every day for your living, like mm. these micro businesses are doing, the woman who sells the samosa and the chapati on the side of the road, where is their income coming from? If they are practicing social distancing and they can't be on the road um, interacting with customers in close proximity day to day, what are their yeah. options? They have very limited options. So if they have the option to continue to be able to do what they do to sustain their livelihoods and continue to make money by being able to deliver through this platform, this is a fantastic opportunity for them to continue to survive. And on the other side of this, they might also find that they're able to thrive as people will still continue, maybe after this thing is over, to just, you know, be at home and say, hey, I don't feel like going out to go get chapati and samosas. Let me just order it online. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, that's true because you know what, I think also what they're really worried about is, you know, because that's the only way they're going to make money because no one is going to pay them. And if you look into our, like, um, the government or our country's plan and no one will just, you know, bring you for it if you won't get, if you won't go out, you don't have savings, you, you know, you don't have where to depend because right now, even your uncle cannot give you a loan because you also need that money you know, for, for, for his family or for whatever the issues. Because, I mean, just imagine if, if this, I mean, I'm not praying for that to happen, but just imagine if uh, this virus will go on for six months. Just, just take precaution. What's going to happen? In your, in your estimation, being an entrepreneur and being a startup entrepreneur, what are the types of impacts that you see this having on the, S, the micro, small, and medium-sized enterprise? industry in Tanzania, considering that, you know, like in the U.S., there are lots of stimulus packages that are being rolled out now to help businesses that are suffering um, because of the virus. Let's say none of that is coming for the local Tanzanian economy. What, what are their options? How is it going to impact that sector of society, the entrepreneurship sector, the micro, small, and medium-sized sector, and how can the place with the platform in terms of the businesses that are already on there um, be able to continue to survive through this platform if it should then integrate an online delivery um, aspect to the platform? Yeah, I think, I think the impact, I think the impact, the impact will really be high because uh, it will change a lot of things. It will change a lot of business to become, you know, to shift it to different categories of businesses. Because now I'm thinking about one thing. Imagine the, uh, the, 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 the bikers we have on the street who picks people and drops people to one place or another just for a work or, you know, whatever. Right now, they don't have people to, to carry. Now, which we call them the border border, the, the people who ride bikes and pick people, the tax drivers, the, I mean, Uber itself. Uber is actually suffering because I was actually talking to an Uber driver and say, you know, for over five hours, you didn't get a customer to pick. So just imagine one thing. Now, if the platform has the service and the demand is high, that means that we can actually hire the border border guy, the guy with the bike. We can actually give an opportunity to the guy. To do so the service are, delivery so that. Do the service delivery. And able to continue generate, generating revenues. During Definitely. So it's actually time to be like a shared economy. So now it's not only us like just earning, but also we're importing other people to end and not to kill the old chain. Because I know few businesses, are have, they have to close down no matter what, because they depend on people going there and so they can make business. Right? But when you come to you know, food, for example, grocery supplies, these are actually weekly, daily needs. 
and people need them. But the safety is actually, you know, it's, it's, it's everything someone, everybody's worried about. Like, I don't want to go to a local market because it's crowded. I'm scared and all this. So now, and the same woman who sells the groceries on, I mean, the micro vendors, they actually uh, are more also scared of just going on the street and selling. So it's actually cutting the old chain. But imagine if they were able to park him in a way or in a better way. And then this guy with an Uber or a taxi or the guy with a, you know, a bike would actually go on the street, take that and deliver it to a, a certain house. And they receive a certain amount of money. Actually, I think that would be the best thing because right now, most of them, they don't have knowledge about how internet works and how they can even earn money. What I'm really scared of um, is I think if this will go for so long, it's going to cause a lot of problems. It's going to, you know, I, I don't know, but I believe some people will commit suicide because you cannot stay for over 90 days without food and you don't have money to buy anything. So just imagine the level of frustration people will get. And there are very little social nets, social uh, safety nets that are available for a lot of these people, especially if you work in the informal sector. What you earn is what you eat. So that's, that's exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you won't do nothing, you will eat nothing. It's like a Bible verse. You are like, you know what? You got to do something to get something. Yeah. And everybody's in shock. Yesterday in our conversation, um, I also asked you, well, also, what about the local tailors? What about integrating them into the online delivery system so they can continue to not only um, to maybe start making masks and PPEs that could be delivered um, to homes as well to keep them employed, but also play a role in reducing the um, infection rate by providing people with necessary equipment like masks. So that even if they have to go out, they have that to be able to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I mean that could also be one of the interesting things to do because I'm afraid that I think in a few days from now, probably the government will also announce that everyone has to put on masks because before I think even the who declared that masks should only be you know like used by people who you know, have the symptoms who were infected or have been infected in order to protect the others. But right now it seems like they might actually uh, force everybody to actually do it. And I think if, if it gets there, there will be a lot of needs for masks. And uh, I'd say I, I probably have to do some research on that because I think uh, one thing that I, I have to be like, uh, we have to be sure of is actually are the, are the masks safe enough? You know, what are the safety procedures for these tailors to actually prepare the mask so they can be verified and actually, or are they treated? Because otherwise you might actually, somebody might be infected and it's actually the tailor who's actually, you know, preparing the mask. And then later on you have millions of people being infected because of, you know, certain person who have produced 10,000 of masks. True, true. Yeah. That is a concern and a risk that needs to be mitigated. But also the truth is that people just be out there making their own masks at home. And it's a hard situation. Um, So what's the plan moving forward for the online uh, delivery platform? So so basically, I know since we have like a good traffic and especially... um, even though the application, but one thing that we believe in, because 80% of our uh, our customers actually, I mean, users are coming from the uh, um, from such engines. It's basically after typing a certain keyword, they find place listed. It's like they don't know placelisted.com. Basically, they know like, oh, I'm looking for food, da, 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 and placelist is here. So what we want to do right now is actually put um, put up a, a food delivery system, which will link with placelisted. It's like a sub like a sub-segment, like a segment within class listed, but it's basically, you know, you know, actually delivering, offering delivery food, like food delivery service and groceries, whatever that is needed for, you know, depends with the need of the uh, people that will be serving. And I, and I, and I think within this week, it should be whether from tomorrow to Friday, we might have something online and then we'll start like, you know, spreading the words and then, you know, ask the vendors on the street. Because I know one thing right now is that, also, 
on WhatsApp, everybody's like really active. If you share something that is really impactful, people would actually share it right away as fast as possible. It only depends with what kind of message that you're sending. What are you communicating? Like but right now, if I put an ad and say, are you selling chapati? And would you like to sell thousand chapati? List your, you know, chapati business or place listed or food away slash something. Basically, what's going to happen is that a lot of people will do that because right now everyone is looking for that opportunity online to do something so they can actually end something. So I think in a few days, um, we might have, I think by end of maybe Friday, this coming week, we'll probably have something online and then ready to test it or ready to start like offering services. But the only thing we have to really, like really, really uh, reconsider or consider is actually the infrastructure for delivery and getting the people who can actually do it and also, you know, considering the safety, like making sure that, you know, the person who's actually delivering food are, this, you know, are, are they in good condition to actually do that. Yeah, and also that they have um, proper masks and personal protection of course. to yeah. be able to go out there and do that without risk of infection to themselves or giving infections to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also try to see if we can uh, check in for support because I think also this needs like a quick investment that we, we, we didn't have on our like, you know, bank accounts. So basically to see if we can actually knock doors to some uh, organization that will understand um, this is actually a need and it's something that's supposed to be like saved right now and see if they'll say anything about it. But otherwise, even if we won't, we won't get that type of support, we use... Um, all the knowledge we have and the network we have to make sure that actually we are impacting people, you know, in the best way as possible and make sure that, you know, people are not dying just because they can go on the street and make their business as usual. I'm glad you mentioned um, investment and funding. Um, So life before COVID, if we remember what that was, (laughs) startup entrepreneur, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you were able, if you've been able to tap into funding and financing to grow your business. What have, where have you received funding in the past? What types of accelerators or pro or incubators, um, types of programs that you've been a part of as an, as an entrepreneur that you found useful to you? Mm, I say, all right, so... I I managed to participate or to actually be part of different types of startup schools. And this was for, I think I'm, I'll say, this was more for like gaining knowledge. Um, um, one second, uh, Eddie, I need to redo that part because we're, we're wrapping up our show by saying WTF, where's the funding? And then I go into that. So let's yeah. do that part and then we can edit it. All right. So, Idi, I'm glad you mentioned investment and funding. So I have to ask the question, WTF, where's the funding? Um, in pre-COVID life, um, what, 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 uh, what types of funding were you able to tap into for um, these businesses that you have launched? And right now, what opportunities do you think there are now for funding? Um, so if you can talk about uh, incubators or programs that you've been a part of that have been helpful in your entrepreneurship journey, um, please tell us about that. Um, I say, yes, I've participated into, into several programs and especially like entrepreneur programs. And these were more of, um, I mean, I'll say what I earned from them actually was knowledge in around businesses and actually how to, you know, hack into things to have the principles and all that. But if you ask me for fund, I'll say for place listed, we had zero funding because we never went out and start talking about that business. So like we were more into like build it, build it, like, you know, make sure this it's there. Then later when you pitch it, you have the data, it could actually make a lot of sense to, you know, even to investors because that's exactly what happened. Most of people where I am, are actually not interested to actually, you know, join you in a kitchen to cook, but are interested to actually come on the table and eat with you when the food is there. So it's tough. That's one thing that I like the way you put that, but I think with place listed, like being able to generate that data, then you can go out there and make a data driven pitch to be like, here's how I can make you money because this is what I know. Here's data that I've collected over time. And this is, I can make this valuable in, uh, investment for you. And that, that I think that's what will attract people because already the food was made 
you know, now it's on the table. Leslie said it's like working, have this data, these are things, this, this is the opportunity that you can also see as an investor. Then there it works because now we've tried to knock several doors, also seeking out for like very good partnership with organization around Tanzania, those who are actually operating around media, marketing, and to see if we can potentially get that partnership. Because I think rather than only getting funds, actually strategic partnership could actually really help us to move faster as well. So now I'd say, I mean, we hope for, uh, we hope maybe we'll get actually, you know, someone or uh, a company to come in and join us. Um, but in the past, I'd say the only support I received uh, or we received was on Safari Wallet. And this was for, um, we received like a, a fund from T Tony Lumelu Foundation. And also we were supported by um, uh, FSDT, which I think if I'm not wrong, is financial, sec uh, financial sector deep in trusts. That's, 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 that's their long like term for, for FSDT. And um I mean, the funding opportunity in general, let's say if it's either, you know, equity, it's either grants in Africa or in Tanzania, they are actually really, really low. Like we don't have a lot of those. And if they are there, um, they are basically into, you know, maybe they are focusing into, you know, uh, healthy industry. So they have like a focus too, but most of them were not directed into tourism or into, you know, uh, food technology. Now we are starting seeing them like, you know, uh, UNWTO, they've, you know, hosted a challenge a week ago, you know, for innovators to come around and innovate around, you know, food um, just for COVID-19 because now they see that is actually uh, a challenge and there is a need and people have to be supported. So, it, until there is something like that, that's when you see even NGOs, organization with money, considering now to actually support entrepreneurs or innovators who are actually trying to disrupt or help during um, this time of COVID-19 war. That's what I'll call it. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for um, sharing with us your thoughts on the impact of the virus on the micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises in Tanzania and what you're trying to do on your platform um, place listed. But also, before we go, um, just talking about a little bit more about Safari Wallet and what, what opportunities there could be for that platform, not necessarily now during the period of COVID, but on the other side of COVID. Because I personally think that there will be a big boom in travel after this whole thing is over because people will have felt very cooped up and restrained and they will just want to get out in the world on the other side of this. Yeah. Uh, for the case of Safari, one thing that I see is that I was also telling my team members like a week ago, our world is actually on a pause. You know, travel industry is on a pause for now. And it's actually... I mean, it's in the news, it's everywhere. Like, no one is traveling. Now, what's going to happen is that we should actually create, like, after hashtag after COVID-19, you know what I mean? Like, people should actually be ready because we know corona, I mean, COVID will pass. And after that, I do believe people, a lot of, you know, people want to travel just to have that, you know, uh, like, the self back again because... It has been a hard, like, tough lockdown. You're in your household, but, you know, I don't know for how long will that be. But basically what's going to happen is that we do believe that people actually look for places, uh, for, you know, things to do. And for, for Safari Wallet, for us, we actually, we're trying our best level to get ready for that market and start, like, you know, giving the messages as fast what as possible. What is that noise in the back? <laughs> it's actually, it's, I think it's a duck. That is oh, amazing. okay. Yeah. All right. That's just real life. Let's just keep going. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think that's exactly what I, what I, what we saw, what we see as an opportunity coming on. And me and my team were working like remotely uh, because uh, the few errors we have to fix from the website and making sure that our technology is also ready. And not only that, but now providing or designing a better way to actually market and also give people that type of relief, telling them, you know what, you don't have to focus on what's happening right now. Think about, think about after COVID and you, you can actually, you know, 
do something after that. And I like the idea of selling hope, giving people something beyond COVID and the corona definitely. to look forward to. So, Ibi, before we go, tell us where we can find you online, socials, where we can find um, the platforms. Um, give us the websites for those so people can, can find them. All right. So, um, for both um, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, if you search Safari Wallet, you'll you find us. Uh, or Place Listed, at Place Listed. You'll find place listed. If you go, I mean, to a web browser or Google, just search for safariwallet.com or placelisted.com. The same way to LinkedIn and I think other social media channels. So, and for for myself, you can find me on LinkedIn most of the time. Uh, Ed Ed John. If you search Ed John, you will just find me there. Hey, I'm just thinking. Is Safari Wallet only for people in Tanzania or can people in the U.S. where I'm based use the services of Safari Wallet? Because I'm sure we're also looking like, okay, now that I have all this time, let me plan what my next vacation will be because I just need to get away. What are the options for people on this side of the world to be able to utilize um, Safari Wallet? Actually, we are serving we are serving the in, we are serving both local and international markets. So I'd say you're most welcome, and we'll be so happy. And I personally, like I must work on preparing people's itineraries. So if you wanna you want an address, you can actually you know visit Safari Wallet, or you can email to us uh, yellow yellow at Safari Wallet yellow like hello not yellow as a color yellow at Safari Wallet dot com and now so Y E L L O yeah, double L-O. Okay. Yeah. Why? Yeah, like hello. Like L-O, yeah. but why? Okay. So, yeah, start preparing a package for me because I will need to go somewhere when this whole thing is over. Yeah, if you bring, you, if you bring people with you, I'll guarantee you 15% discount for yourself. You hear that, folks? If you're interested in going with me on a trip to Tanzania, uh, hit me up. Uh, Reach reach out to us at the WTF podcast, which is where's the funding at um, email, which is where's the funding at gmail.com. I know I definitely want to go. Tanzania has beach. If you're looking for beach, Zanzibar, it's got Zanzibar, yep. For a mountain um, adventure, I, I would like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro at least once. And what is, and, and it's got safari. So, I mean, yes. it's got everything. So, if you I'll be happy. Yes. Um, send us an email and we can see if we can plan a group trip. Just let us know. Idi, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do with integrating the online delivery um, side of Place Listed so that we can help those micro, small and medium sized businesses, especially those in the food business, um, the food industry, be able to continue to operate and generate revenues and to be able to continue with life as usual without having to bear a, an astronomical brunt of this, uh, the economic impact of this virus. Michelle, uh, thank you so much, Michelle and WTF, and I'm excited as well. I hope I'll talk to you another time, and thank you for hosting me. You're most welcome. So that was a very interesting conversation with Idi around what he's trying to do with his business, how he's trying to pivot and adjust and how those adjustments um, could potentially help micro enterprises in the food, in the food industry to survive COVID-19 and social distancing. Yeah. I mean, what I'm enjoying about uh, what I enjoyed about the episode and what I'm enjoying just generally is being able to hear these kind of on the on the ground real time adjustments and pivots that people are making and some of the thoughts that are going into you know what does community look like what does supporting local business look like and what does sustainability look like so um i'm just yeah i found it very helpful to kind of get that insider peek especially on what's going on uh, in Tanzania at the moment. Yeah, and um, so hopefully we can get some some update, you know, as things go on to see whether or not he 
was able to get the delivery service portion of the place-listed platform up and running and how that is potentially able to help those micro-entrepreneurs in the food industry to be able to continue to survive and maybe add a different level, um, a different element to their business and, you know, enable them to grow and thrive in a way that they didn't even think about initially. So this could be a potentially good thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a, a colleague of mine around, you know, what the West can learn from countries that have either gone through sort of massive disasters or, you know, economic or um, weather-related shocks to their fi- uh, to their financial and living experiences. And you know, it's interesting how you've seen certain certain developing countries be able to sort of mobilize very, very quickly. There's something very nimble and flexible. I was listening to an ex, uh, an example about um, the fact that um, in some Indian cities, they've been able to create this delivery service, you know, almost overnight. And so there is you know, even in the midst of the uncertainty and the chaos, I think that there are some lessons learned from developing countries that have have been living a reality of being under siege or having weather or other related shocks as a part of their dynamic for years that we can learn from and, you know, and, and share information. I agree. I think this is a great lesson learned. And to show that you know, there is something to be said for providing support for entrepreneurs who come out of these types of environments. They are resilient. They know how to adapt and to respond because they're constantly dealing with situations of crisis that they have to respond to. And they're built for this stuff. And if they get the support that they need, they can come up with the systems and the mechanisms that they need to adapt and thrive. And I think the situation will sort of prove that to the world that these, um, you know, in places like the continent and in other parts of the world, people are very flexible and adaptable. And once they have the support that they need to be able to do that, they can thrive. Even in hard times, they've been doing it for centuries. Yeah. And with that said, yeah, we thank you so much for um, being with us on on this very special episode as we talk about, you know, what's going on in society right now and in markets and in the different impact that entrepreneurs and just people in general are having across the globe. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you are subscribing, streaming, downloading, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. And we look forward to seeing you for the next episode. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.